1: Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, State Planning Attorney Bob Bergman, uh, here uh, broadcasting out of my office in San Jose, California. And I am very, very happy to be here today. Uh, Very happy to be indoors today on this really crummy weather day. Um, I came back not that long ago, a couple of hours ago, came back from the San Mateo County Probate Court, where I submitted a an ex parte court petition that was granted. Um, if you're unaware of what um that I do that, I actually file court petitions for Hegstats, which are petitions to gather in loose assets into somebody's trust after they have died, as long as you can document in writing the intent of the person that the asset or assets be part of their trust, and then also trust modification petitions, which is what I was doing this morning. I handle those kinds of matters in Santa Clara County, San Mateo County, and Contra Costa County. And I do have the capability, in some cases, of assisting um, people from outside of those counties in uh, having things handled in one of those counties so that uh, it can be done more quickly and efficiently than perhaps in the home county for example uh... Los Angeles or Orange County or Alameda County for that matter which um, all of which take a long time to get anything done so that's what i was doing this morning i spent the whole day um, whole morning up there um, at least got a chance to chat with a an estate planning colleague who's up there in San Mateo County and uh, found out that uh, we both attended Santa Clara Law School. He was just one year behind me in law school, but uh, he had taken a year off from college before going to law school. So we were actually the same age, went to high school and college at the same time, and uh, it was kind of nice spending some time visiting with someone who knew the same musicians and movies and everything else that I know, uh, many of which those younger than I am uh, don't really know. Uh, I try to educate my children about famous uh, actors and actresses of the past and the music uh, musical artists uh, that were in there when uh, I grew up. You know, bands they've never heard of like, oh, like the Rolling Stones. Wait, <laughs> they're still touring, aren't they? Or the Who? Wait, they'll, they're still touring too. Or the Doobie Brothers. They're still touring. It's amazing how many of the bands that were around when I grew up are still out there doing concerts. They're still touring and performing. And it's literally been it's literally 50 years now since I graduated from high school. Hard to believe, but, uh, but it's a fact. And the fact is that music I listened to back then, many of the musicians are still out there today and still rocking and rolling. So, uh, yes, I've just admitted to my audience out there, I love rock and roll. It's absolutely true. I also love a lot of jazz. Um, I love classical music. The operettas of Gilbert and Sullivan, of which I have performed roles in several over the years, and uh, also classic musicals uh, like, you know, Oklahoma and Brigadoon and uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, Oliver, things like that. I'm really a big fan of the classic musicals, although I am enjoying a lot of the more modern musicals as well. Um, My family and I actually, last Saturday, we headed up to San Francisco to see the second-to-last performance up there of the touring company of Beetlejuice. Uh, It's a hilarious musical, by the way, if you ever get a chance to see it. I understand it's coming to San Jose uh, later on this year, so if you didn't get a chance to see it in San Francisco watch and see when it's coming back through San Jose. Uh, Two really interesting things about that show. First of all, we were caught on Highway 1 heading up there when they literally closed Highway 1 because of the storm surge. Uh, There was a large section of the freeway that was under four feet of water. And there were cars literally trapped on the freeway under four feet of water. Something tells me those cars... Are probably a complete total. So uh, we weren't, we didn't know if we were even going to make it to San Francisco to see the show, but we managed, having added an hour to our driving time, we managed to eventually get around that up into San Francisco and catch the show. One of the really neat things about the show, if you're at all familiar with it, there's a character in the show named Lydia. And in the Beetlejuice movie, upon which the musical is somewhat based. The character of Lydia was played by Winona Ryder. Uh, In this production, touring company of Lydia was a young lady, and I apologize, I can't recall her name, but it was her Broadway debut as a professional actor. And not that long ago, she graduated from high school in San Jose, and she was actually a performer with the San Jose children's musical theater and my family saw her in a couple of their shows and now she is touring in a major role in a broadway touring production good for her i love seeing that there's been a number of the the kids from the children's musical theater that have gone on to professional careers uh, in fact on broadway and beetlejuice the title role of beetlejuice was alex brightman a uh, graduate of Bellarmine High School here in San Jose and another um, alum of the Children's Musical Theater. So um, if you love, tell you what, if you love good theater, go see productions of the Children's Musical Theater in San Jose. They're typically done at the Montgomery Theater in downtown and they have often some really high quality productions with some extremely talented young people, young teenagers, you will be amazed. And some of them, if you go often enough, you too could be someone that says someday, I remember seeing him, I remember seeing her performing at the Children's Musical Theater, and now he or she is getting the Tony on Broadway or is getting an Emmy for a television appearance or is winning an Oscar. So it's kind of an amazing thing to consider that uh, there are local kids that go on to professional careers and actually make careers in the performing arts and sometimes very successful careers. I'm all for that. I'm a big fan of and supporter of the arts, having been a stage actor myself for over 40 years, uh, and including primarily musicals and operettas with some straight comedies and even a couple of dramas. I'm hoping to be able to get back into that uh, someday now that my children are old enough to be at home by themselves without a babysitter. (laughs) So I hope you're all warm and dry out there. I hope if you're on the road listening to me, you're not going through massive buckets and buckets of rain coming down on you and making it hard to drive. If it gets too bad, I suggest you pull over, get off the road and wait until the rain passes by. Because I'll tell you, it can get really crazy out there uh, when rain like this comes. I've found that a lot of people in the Bay Area forget how to drive in the rain because we don't get rain like this all that often. Uh, my wife and I were talking the other day and coming, it seems like it's been several years since we had rain dump like this on the Bay Area. At least the good news is many of our reservoirs here in Northern California are rapidly filling, and that's good news. The snowpack in the Sierras is getting higher and higher and higher, which means more water coming down in the spring as the snowpack starts to melt. The bad news is Southern California is getting slammed by rain, but they don't have anything in place to capture that rain and fill up reservoirs so that they can use it in the future. So they're still gonna be relying on us from Northern California to supply their drinking water uh, six months from now. It's really a shame. I wish that the infrastructure would get built out here uh, in the state of California. Okay, well, uh, I think we're probably um, ending the first segment of the show. When we come back, I will continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, Attorney Bob Bergman.
0: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: Hi, welcome back. Well, uh, apologies for the prior segment. We got a little bit of signals crossed, and I, I was continuing talking over the commercials. Hopefully the people whose commercials were being broadcast won't be too upset with me. Um, so welcome back to the second segment of the show, and, and I'm going to, for the rest of the show, I'm going to follow my usual format, which is questions from around the state of California that real people have actually raised Uh, dealing with estate planning issues, and then my comments. And if you haven't joined the show before, basically what I do is I kind of state the situation that someone related, and then I kind of respond to it more or less like I was talking to the person that asked the question or has the situation, like I was advising them. And, And so my hope is that by doing this, there will be people listening to my show from time to time that will recognize that they have a similar situation and that maybe something can be done about it or maybe something really can't be done about it. But the idea is uh, that by doing that, people realize that um, they're not necessarily going to be a victim all the time. They may actually have rights that they can pursue in order to to get an estate planning issue solved. So here, Alameda, California. Someone says, I inherited 50% of my mother's home after she passed. My sister and I have agreed that I buy her out of her 50% share in a private transaction, thus leaving me the owner of the home. Do I need a lawyer to navigate the process of transferring the title to my name? The short answer is no, uh, you could go to a title company yourself, ask them to draw up the deed and uh, have your sister put the money into the title company's escrow account and then basically have the money released to you. when, the, And then the deed is recorded or the money released to your sister, rather, and then the deeds recorded, transferring it to you. There's nothing particularly fancy about this. I will say though, it's likely that um it's likely that your sister's 50% is going to be reassessed, but it's probably going to be reassessed anyway. I can't tell from this uh situation whether or not you plan to move into your mother's home. If that's the case, you would be able to uh to actually Maybe keep some of her real property lower uh, property tax base. But the half that you're getting from your sister, um, it's going to be reassessed anyway if she's not moving into the house. And uh, so there won't be any major impact to you there. It's still going to be uh, higher property taxes than when your mother owned the property. Okay, out of Sonoma, California. Person says, My husband was left a property by a trust, and we suspect that a sibling will fight this, knowing that she will lose. I know that any heir can challenge. I just wanted to know if the court will hear or take up non serious or lack of evidence challenges, or is going to court what determines that. It's the latter. Um, the primary question was, do you need credible evidence for challenging a trust? Well, you certainly need credible evidence to successfully challenge a trust. Um, an interesting side note is next week I'm going to be attending a webinar uh, that is talking about uh, how it's possible to go to court while you're still alive in order to confirm and affirm your estate plan so that someone can't challenge it, someone that you know might challenge it. You give them notice. If they don't come to court, the court signs an order approving your plan. And then basically, um, the person later on, they can't come in and challenge anything because they had a chance to complain while you were still alive. Uh, They can't come in after you've died if it's done properly. I'm going to be finding out more details about them and uh, and finding out how to do it. I already do court petition work, as I mentioned at the top of the show. And this would be one more that I might add for those of you out there who are concerned about a uh, family member that might challenge your trust after you've died. Um, this sounds like it it could be a much better alternative for many people than uh leaving a a chunk of money to that person so that they have something at risk if they challenge your trust. They'd have to win, otherwise they might lose that 100000 dollars, whatever it happens to be. But this might be a more cost effective way of leaving nothing to someone that you don't want to receive anything. And doing it so that uh, at a lot less cost than what your estate might have to pay out to them later on when you die. Now, of course, the drawback is you're paying up front, but you're paying a lot less up front going to court now than what you might be paying later on in order to try and convince somebody to not fight about it in the future. So I will probably be reporting back next Friday on what I learned So if you're interested in learning more about that because you're doing planning right now or you're considering doing planning and you have you have one or more family members that you have decided you would not like to receive anything such as a child. You want to disinherit them Uh, as long as you're in uh, one of the counties here in the Bay Area where I actually would go to court on a matter like that, which is San Mateo. Santa Clara or Contra Costa, uh, then I might be able to assist you going forward. I might be able to assist you not only with drafting your estate plan, but then taking it to court and having the judge sign off on it. So it now is bulletproof against any future attack. So if you want to learn more about that, I will likely be, uh, I'm planning to have at least half of my show next Friday, talking about that very issue and I'll pass on information I learned at the workshop I will be attending next week. Okay so here here someone says I want to understand my mom's irrevocable trust which was um, prepared in Orange County in 2002 and I want a full accounting of what's in it and what my rights are to audit it. I could probably use a probate lawyer to explain and interpret the trust. Yeah, I would agree with all that. If you're the beneficiary of the trust, it may mean that you've already been given a copy and you might want to have an attorney review it for you and explain exactly what it's saying and help you to determine what your rights may or may not be in reference to the trust itself. Okay, we're coming up on the mid-show break. And when we come back... I will be continuing with more questions and comments from around this great state of California. Uh, My question coming back will be out of Davis, California. So shout out to Davis and all of you Aggies up there uh, at the university. But when we come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman. See you on the other side.
0: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: And welcome back to the third segment of our show today. Now, remember, I gave a shout out to Davis. This next situation is from Davis and um, says, my husband and I are putting a trust together and we aren't in agreement let me pause right there and say, uh, then you're probably not really going to be able to put a trust together if you're not in agreement, because if it's a joint trust, you literally have to be in agreement with each other. But here's the situation. She says, when we met, he was granted stock at his new company. The stock was vested since we've been married. Is that community property? Additionally, I commingled cash into a new joint account with him after we married and can prove it was mine. Is that community property now? The answer to both questions is a yes, no, or maybe. And really, the answers to those questions are more for a family lawyer to answer. Um, using the term commingled actually describes that pretty well taking cash and putting it into a joint account, even if you can prove it w- where it came from and it was yours, that generally makes it community property. You co-mingle it, you mix it in. It's kind of like I've got a glass of water, you've got a glass of water, you pour your glass of water into, into the glass of water over here. How can you tell what water's yours anymore? Because it's all water. It's all mixed up together. The first case, the stock vesting during the marriage, if the stock was granted prior to the marriage and it was kept separate in a separate account by the spouse and then it vested, it's probably separate property of the spouse unless that spouse decides to, here's the word, commingle it into the marriage. But if you're not in agreement and then you're asking question about community property, that suggests to me that you're probably not going to finish that trust. And the more likely result is you're on your way out the door and maybe your spouse is on his way out the door. And that's probably what's going to happen. I'm sorry to say that, but that's likely going to be the end result of that situation. Escondido, California. Person says, I'm a beneficiary of Grandma's trust. Everything has been sold and completed except final payment and taxes to be paid. Is there a time frame that my aunt, who's the trustee, has to do this in? It's almost been three months since everything was sold. Doesn't she, by law, have to give us bank statements and a final counting of the trust to us? We've been requesting it for months now and she keeps saying she will but never does. Her attorney had stated in our original paperwork he would do a final accounting but she's not gone back to him. What course of action should we take? Well, a lot of possibilities. First one might be to have the whole family get together and contact Auntie and say, Auntie, please give us the information we request. If she ignores you, then the next step might unfortunately have to be taking auntie to court to demand an accounting and uh, in the alternative to have her removed as the trustee if she's not willing to fulfill her responsibilities as the trustee that's obviously an extreme thing to do depending on where it's being done it could take several months to have that transpire um The fact of the matter is there's no easy, quick way to get a trustee to actually follow through and do what they're obligated to do under the terms of the trust or under the law or both. Um, Most cases, it's not an issue, but it's like this. Ultimately, if she's not cooperative and she's not helping out and she's not moving or anything, the other members of the family might have to go to court and compel that result it's unfortunate but that's why we have the courts we have the courts to handle disputes between family members involving trust and estates and of course many other things as well okay here um from redlands california it's been a long time since i had anyone from redlands it says my mother just passed and i am the executor under will and the trustee of her trust. Can I go ahead and proceed with with paying debts and closing things out? Well, first of all, I'd say if you're the trustee, there's a legal requirement that you send a notice out to all the beneficiaries under probate code section 16061.7. The notice basically tells all the beneficiaries, here's a copy of the terms of the trust, which generally means a copy of the trust and also tells them who to contact who's in charge here's my address here's my phone number maybe here's my email address and also informs them that they have the um they have basically 120 days if they're going to dispute the trust in any way to to bring an action to dispute the trust um the purpose of that law is basically, to, um, uh, is basically to, to make sure that you can finally actually distribute the assets of a trust without worrying about someone coming back later and suing and trying to undo things or claw money back into a trust because they're claiming that the trust was invalid or whatever it happens to be. But that being said... Um, Someone who takes over the trustee can immediately start marshalling assets, meaning gathering things together, maybe all into one bank account, can generally start uh, liquidating assets, selling stocks, selling bonds, selling real estate, whatever it is. The probate court would not be involved in any way unless there were assets that were not in the trust that should have been in the trust and they have too much value. For example, a house, a house by definition, you couldn't just take it over and doing things if it was still in mom's name and not in mom's trust. You might have to go to court using mom's will to probate the will to get in the trust, or you might be eligible to do um, a Hegstat petition to gather it into the trust. In any event, in a situation like this, I advise everybody who's taking over as trustee of a trust, don't just go out there and start doing things on your own. At least consult, have a consultation with an estate planning attorney that does trust administration to find out kind of what steps, uh, what steps may need to be done and whether those are steps you could do yourself or whether there's steps that you actually may need assistance with to make sure that you don't end up getting into trouble with the beneficiaries of the trust. I mean, if trustees get in trouble, it's usually because they're not following the terms of the trust or they're not following the trust law and they're acting like dictators. Like, because I'm the trustee, I'm in charge. I get to decide everything and you have no say whatsoever. When actually the trustee of a trust is a servant... I bring this up regularly, a servant and is supposed to be looking out for the interests of all the beneficiaries of the trust. Unfortunately, if the trustee is a sibling, for example, that has always been in charge of things and bossed everybody around, they're probably the worst person to pick as a successor trustee for your plan. You don't want a bossy sibling or a bossy child being in charge of things because then they will have a tendency to just run roughshod over the other children, ignore them, and do whatever they want. And that is often a prescription for disaster. Um, It's part of what I counsel people when we talk about who should your trustees be. Really stop and think about that. Don't automatically default to, well, our oldest child. Don't default to, well, all of our children as a group, and especially don't default to all of our children together, they don't get along now, but if they all have to be trustees together, then they'll have to get along. You know what? It's the exact opposite of they'll have to get along. The more likely thing is the whole thing will blow up and, uh, and they'll be fighting and they may not ever be able to actually get the trust wound up and they'll be fighting and they might use up everything that you saved up for fighting with each other about just who should be um who should be uh, in charge that's the uh, that's the thing to be aware of okay so we're coming up on the the mid-show break pretty soon from now but i think i have time to to look at uh one more question and comment before we break ah does the trustee of a trust have to distribute funds to the beneficiaries at the same time or can it be done individually this is out of martinez um and and the general answer to that is there's no particular requirement that everything be distributed all at once except for uh if beneficiaries have not gotten their distribution and someone else got it already, there might be a pretty ticked off beneficiary right there. So the trustee needs to always make sure that whatever they're doing is not going to somehow prejudice the interests or benefit one beneficiary over another one. So as a general rule, it's best to actually do the distributions except for specific assets that were left to a specific person to do those distributions all at the same time. So we're coming up on the third break of our show today. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman, your host.
0: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.
1: Hi, welcome back to the final segment of the show today. I'm going to uh, do a few more of the questions and comments uh, from around the state of California and then wrap things up. Um, here's an interesting one, and it's one that uh, that uh, I, I, hopefully you'll find it to be somewhat interesting as well. Uh, Laguna Nigel. Can a springing trust which ends when a beneficiary turns age 40 be converted into a special needs trust instead. My parents' living trust, which recently became irrevocable due to death, calls for a springing trust for a granddaughter's portion. She wants to keep her low-income housing and cannot manage money. Do we need to consult a special needs attorney, or can any estate attorney help us? Well, it's an interesting question. Um if the person low income housing, uh, the real question is, is this granddaughter a special needs person? That's the real question. If she is, and the trust does not provide, um, that things are left in really what we call a supplemental needs trust, uh, to supplement whatever benefits a person's receiving, um, It may be possible to go to court and have the trust modified. So instead of it being an outright distribution at age 40, uh, the trust actually is converted into a supplemental needs trust for that person at age 40, or maybe even is a supplemental needs trust now. Um, It's possible. It depends on the county you're in it depends on what the probate judge thinks. Um, and, uh, I've done it successfully a few times where, um, where it should have been maybe a supplemental needs trust right up front, or maybe, um, a beneficiary has become a special needs person since the plan was created. Uh, but, uh, but they've, they have never actually, um, they never actually went around and, uh, and modified the trust to reflect just that issue so so the answer is it might be possible but it's likely going to take court action now because the whoever created the original trust is now deceased okay, um, okay skip over that one that's much too complicated to answer on the air now this one kind of was puzzling to me out of Sassoon City. It says, my father passed away intestate, meaning he had no will. I'm his only child. He wasn't married. We're at the stage where the judges ordered that I need to get a bond. I'm confused as I'm the only heir and I waived a bond for myself. There's only one very low credit card that needs to be paid. Taxes will be a refund. And then the house that I'm hoping to keep living in. But if I were going to steal or mismanage anything, it would only be hurting me. How can I reverse this decision? It may very well be that where you're located, the court always requires a bond unless there is a will that waives the requirement of a bond. That's the possibility. Every county in the state, every probate department in the state of California takes different approaches to different things. (coughs) Excuse me. It should all be the same throughout the counties. But I'll tell you, it's not always the same throughout the counties. There are variations from county to county. There are significant variations here in the Bay Area from one county to another about what they accept, what they require, all kinds of things like that. So it's possible. I mean, you could certainly uh, go back to the court petition and ask the court reconsider you having to post a bond. But I would say, first of all, you need to look into the local court rules and see if there's a local court rule that says that a bond is always required in an intestate estate, period. End of statement. And, you know, regardless of who the heirs are, even if there's one heir, um, you'll you'll find that often a bond is always required if the executor is from out of state. Uh, That's kind of the case in some counties here in California. So it's really something you have to look at on a county by county basis. We we can't always get a definitive answer um, just because of the general law. Okay. Um, All right. First thing, uh, what's the rate of compensation in California for the trustee of a living trust? Uh, First of all, there is no standard rate. Generally, you kind of look and see what is being charged by someone who is not a professional to do the kinds of things that trustees do it might be 25 35 40 dollars an hour you have to keep track of your time and then account for your time what you did what kinds of things you did on behalf of the trust as the trustee professional trustees can charge more than that but they also tend to be a lot more efficient in what they're doing and then you're going to you're going to probably have even more when you uh even more of an expense if you have like a corporate trustee, because they tend to charge a, uh, a percentage of the value of the trust on an annual basis. So um, there's really no definitive answer one way or the other. I'll just tell you that um, that's pretty much the way it works. OK, so this is attorney Bob Bergman. I hope you enjoyed the show and I'll talk with you next Friday. Have a great weekend.
0: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.